Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Today, our guest is Bruce Pierce of Metro Detroit, who has been married for 32 years to his life partner, Pam. He is the father of three wonderful children who are also accomplished, and he is very proud of them. He is retired after a fulfilling engineering career at Ford Motor Company. He's working hard to be a successful retiree and enjoy life. Service is an integral part of his life, applying lifelong learning to volunteer projects that will hopefully make a difference in the world. Specific interests include a family medical legacy project, STEM education, small business mentoring, and high school career prep mentoring, among others. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this one. And uh, as we talked in the green room, this obviously is near and dear to many people with spondylitis. Uh, but I want to take you through, uh, you had shared some of your story and your family's story in our magazine, Spondylitis Plus, this last summer. Um, and for anyone who hasn't read that or isn't a member and familiar with it, uh, can you share what happened to your father-in-law, Frank, back in 1999? Yeah, uh, Frank had been retired for about four years and he had uh, an elective heart valve replacement. Uh, it was in the fall of 99. And it was a, at a hospital where his, he and his wife had been active patients and fervent supporters, uh, you know, were very, very high on Henry Ford Hospital. It was the hospital that Henry Ford created for his staff in 1915. Wow. It's a fantastic place. Um, so he was looking forward to a many more years of retirement with a, a, an improved heart. Uh, the surgery went fine. Uh, he came home from the hospital just before Christmas. We had an early Christmas because we were traveling to go see my family in, in Wisconsin. Um, got a picture with his three month old second granddaughter. Um, and that was our last picture with him. Uh, we traveled and while we were gone, uh, he was having some difficulty breathing and his wife uh, took him to the local emergency room. Uh, he ended up getting intubated he was having trouble breathing that, that much. Uh, they couldn't figure out what was going on as he kept degrading uh, day by day. And after many days and many tests, they finally determined that he had suffered a high cervical spine fracture that left him a quadriplegic, una unable to breathe uh, without support. Uh, we believe that the fracture occurred during the, either the initial surgery and it just progressively degraded uh, or at the emergency intub intubation afterwards. Uh, we knew that he had neck issues. We didn't know much about it. And we didn't really understand that ankylosing spondylitis, the condition that he had presented such a high risk of injury. And was he diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis prior to the heart surgery? It, I had heard the phrase but we really didn't know much about it. Um, and it wasn't so broadly known 24 years ago. And that's where the mission of Spondylitis Association, I think is so important to me and why I've uh, 
been as involved as I have. It's still not well enough known. 24 years later, uh, I had never heard of it 10 years ago when I was diagnosed. Uh, okay, so as this happened, I, I can only imagine the emotions associated with something like that and the shock of it. How did your family handle that? I mean, we, we were devastated and numb, confused. Uh, it was so sudden. And having someone lose the ability to communicate, you know, being on life support in 1999, uh, there was just no future. And watching him slowly drift away was just torture. Uh, they were married for 42 years. Uh, so very much it struck us hard. But my mother-in-law, Barbara, uh, she was a powerful woman, uh, a force of nature. <laughs> she put her grief into action to get to the bottom of what happened and to work with the hospital system to help prevent it from happening again. So that consumed her for the next 18 years. You know, she was, she did something about it and turned, you know, the, the tragedy into, into forward progress. I had read uh, part of the program that she did at Henry Ford Hospital 10 or 15 years ago was, uh, was it creating mannequins in staff trainings or using mannequins that would mimic uh, similar, a similar uh, constraint when intubating? Yeah, it, it was purchasing them. Uh, there were uh, newly developed mannequins that were used to simulate difficult airways. Uh, first, she bought those, but then a few years later in 2002, um, there were fiber optic uh, cameras that would then be used by anesthesiologists to actually look, you know, go inside your throat uh, and into your lungs so they could visualize what was going on. Uh, and they used those in a, the Darren Difficult Airway course uh, to their namesake. And that was part of the advanced cardiac life support training that was used in the hospital system for physicians, for new physicians and for recertification. Uh, the American Heart Association was just beginning to focus on airway management too, which might've been you know, part of the genesis of the idea. And then, okay, so let's jump ahead to you, I don't know if you were involved with the SAA beforehand, um, but you created a collaboration. Uh, you know, what? can can we back up and? Oh yeah, I think we can cut this. So, some other things that continue to happen at the hospital um, in 2009 timeframe, uh, in recognition of the the situation that happened with Frank. Uh, the hospital team created a, a working team that went across multiple disciplines to assess all of their processes for difficult airways. It included the surgical team, medical intensive care, quality and risk staff, pharmacy, nursing, and educators. Um, and it was part of a national patient safety fellowship project that a doctor and nurse who'd both been involved with Frank's care had been involved with. And that resulted in a couple of uh, new 
processes at Ford or at Henry Ford, uh, a difficult airway communication process that made sure that all staff can identify a patient that had a difficult airway when they're in when they're in the care system to make sure they could be proactive uh, in managing potential issues. Um, and then second is an, was an airway intubation practice uh, that had processes for the urgent airway team uh, with methodologies and standardized equipment, educational content, and a specific team for especially difficult airways. So highly specialized trained people would be the ones doing them in those most severe cases. And are those still in place today? They are, they are. And they were attributed substantially to Barb's efforts there at the hospital. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so let's jump ahead to your connection with the Spondylitis Association and the collaboration that was born, uh, thanks in large part to your effort, uh, between Henry Ford Hospital, you and Spondylitis Association. Uh, can you share about that process of making the connections and bringing all the stakeholders together and landing on the amazing accomplishments that have come out of that? Yeah, this is uh, a pretty remarkable story at the initial contact or the initial awareness. I had not learned, earned, uh, I had never heard of Spondylitis Association. Um, in 2017, just after my mother-in-law Barbara passed away, uh, I was sitting with my manager at work and talking about them and their lives. And uh, I mentioned spondylitis and my manager, uh, Matt Howard, said, hey, my, my cousin Rich, I think he works for some spondylitis organization out in Van Nuys in California. Oh. Okay, there's eight people in the Spondylitis Association at the time. And one of them was a cousin of my boss in Detroit. Uh, so I couldn't help but think this was a, a sign from Frank and Barb saying, okay, yeah. we gave you a connection. You better go do something with it. We're watching. At work, we call that the God stamp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. So uh, Matt hooked me up with Rich. And we spoke and I learned about the first responders course, the EMS pitfalls course uh, that was on DVD, which back in 99 or 2017 was still an active thing. Uh, but it was spot on to what my immediate concerns were and what our family experienced. Awareness of the brittle neck condition that ankylosing spondylitis causes and how to manage it, you know, and the risks of accidental injury by, in this case, first responders. Uh, in parallel, after her passing, I had already reached out to the Henry Ford Hospital system to learn more about what they'd done uh, and to understand how broadly it was spread. Uh, we also talked about the opportunity for coordination between Henry Ford and Spondylitis Association that, that they bought into. Um, I had, having come from the auto industry, uh, with 30 years experience, one of the key lessons that, that we learned there to always try to improve quality is take actions to prevent an issue from ever happening again. And this seemed to be a great opportunity for me to take those skills and apply them. So 
I went through a series of meetings with referrals at Henry Ford. Uh, I started with the chief quality officer and she passed me to one of the doctors on the 2009 project. Uh, and eventually I came across uh, several doctors that were anesthesiologists there. Dr. Peruzzi is one of them. And he had previously worked on a spinal injury ward. Uh, he was very in tune with what I was speaking of. He was aware of spondylitis. Uh, he did a literary, literature search uh, right away and found a lot of opportunity. Like there's a lot of incidents here. Uh, this is this is worth working on. Uh, a lot of brittle neck injury incidents. Yes, yes. Wow. And another referral was to a senior doctor that was responsible for the emergency services for the healthcare system. And he too was convinced that there would be immediate benefit. He was confident that not many of the EMT, you know, the EMTs and, and paramedics were, were in tune with this condition. Uh, so he was game to spread the word. So everybody I'd spoken to thus far was, was convinced that this is a, a compelling story and a worthy topic. So I began hosting a series of meetings between the anesthesiologists at Henry Ford. Uh, one of uh, Spondylitis Association's medical advisory board members, uh, Dr. John Ravel, and a member of Spondylitis Association, Elaine Islanian. Uh, yep. We met every three to six months for over three years. Uh, our goal was to get an article into a broad publication like New England Journal of Medicine or presentation in a major conference. Uh, and then COVID struck. All the attention around COVID added to the challenge, of course. We were turned down a number of times, uh, but we kept at it. So our work evolved into a focus on ensuring anesthesiologists, who the doctors involved were most specialized at, that they were well-informed of the latest, best tools and methods for airway management in patients with ankylosing spondylitis. Uh, I have other friends that are anesthesiologists and they've told me that they're generally aware, uh, but through this work and research, the team was convinced that there was more for anesthesiologists to know. Uh, Dr. Peruzzi and Dr. China at Henry Ford were, were experts in the field and we were convinced and we ended up with publications in the Society of Critical Care Anesthesiologists magazine uh, and then the CME course for anesthesiologists that was accepted in, and is now being actively hosted. Within the Henry Ford Health System, uh, they used this article and training session for what's called Grand Rounds which I had not heard of, uh, but essentially all of the anesthesiologists and medical students in the entire system was present for an educational seminar on this, on this material. And we hope to take that elsewhere too. We haven't yet, but that's part of our plan. And when did that happen? Uh, that was in end of May. Okay. Of Amazing. 23. So the, sorry, I'm, this is, I love listening to the story and I, I have to go in the weeds for a sec because I, I'm assuming you're a mechanical engineer. Yes. Yes. So, so anatomical yes. geometry and lever arms. Uh, I yes. worked in, I worked in safety engineering at Ford for okay. some time. 
uh, I'm very familiar with anatomy and how how fragile we are when we're healthy. Yeah. Let alone uh, when we have fusing of the spine uh, such as this. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of what I've worked along decades with engineers and a lot of you and I share a lot of the same we'll call it approaches and I can hear the engineering as this has evolved. I've been, <laughs> it, I've been accused of that. But you know what? This is beautiful, right? It's, this is the, you've taken your life's work and used those skills transferably to change outcomes for, I'm sure many, many people going forward. I, uh, I think it's amazing. Cause even when, when you were talking about like, how do we do it right up front? I was like, in my brain, I was seeing like the performance failure curve. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, but so I'll just pause and express some gratitude, but uh, what do you hope that the resources on airway management and uh, there is now an accredited online course, correct? Yes. Responders. What do you hope that this will all accomplish? Well, there's really three purposes. Uh, one is getting more exposure and more awareness of the condition out in the public. Everybody that takes this course is going to be a proponent. They may hear of a friend with a condition that they can then warn. That's happened to, to my wife and I multiple times of just casual acquaintances that the topic comes up. And they say, gosh, my, my cousin has, they've got lower back pain that's been undiagnosed for years. I wonder if this might be it. Uh, so awareness first. Uh, promotion of the best techniques and methods. Because now it's easy to access. It's an hour of your time uh, to go and learn about it. And for the listeners, the anesthesiologist course, it's pretty intense. Okay, that's that's doctor speak. The EMS pitfalls course is much more written for laymen, so we can learn from it uh, in terms of advocating for ourselves and for our family members. Uh, so awareness of you know of the uh, of all the best methods and techniques is really important. I mentioned three, and I can't remember the third. I, I got and off track. Everyone has to go through what your family went through. Yeah, yeah. I I can't imagine if I'd been able to prevent the pain that we feel for for one person. That's worth the six years of work that we've been involved in. And I expect just about anybody in society would say the same thing. If you had the chance to make such a difference for anybody, it's worth your time. And I'd feel irresponsible given the, the opportunity I've been given with the audience that I've been able to, to get at Henry Ford to get, to get their help and with the Spondylitis Association and the skills and experience that I've been given through my career and life. I just felt compelled that I, I need to do something. And I'm so happy to have been able to, to accomplish with the team's help what we have. Yeah, that's what you just said is often the reason that I want to do this podcast, because I feel like I've been given so much through my, through the journey. Uh, 
that I know every time someone comes back and I'm sure you hear it and says, thank you, or you made a difference. Um, it's so worth it. And, and you will probably never know the impact because it's a mitigation, right? Yeah. Uh, I, and, and exactly. And a, a couple of, uh, well, one specific example that just through within the first few months of the project, when I first met Dr. China at Henry Ford, um, she's an active anesthesiologist. And in our next meeting, and she had a case with a spondylitis patient. And at the next meeting we had, she said, I can't tell you how much just having the conversations that we've had made to my patient, it made me more attuned. And I know I reduced the risk of my patient just by having been involved in the project. Awareness. Awareness. Yeah. Um, let me preface this particular question by saying that you're not a medical professional and nor am I. However, would you, uh, feel comfortable giving a high level overview of some of the challenges that people with spondyloarthritis who have a fusion may face when in a hospital uh, and some of the key points uh, from the course and the paper uh, and we'll give people the links uh, to find more information uh, before the end here. And then we'll, we'll also, I think when we, uh, okay, so I'm, Richard, hi Richard, said the course is available. The airline management course is available at spondylitis.org and that we will post the links in the podcast. But can you, uh, if you feel okay with it, tell us a little bit about the key points of the course and what challenges people face? Yeah, just one minor comment first. You may want to re-record. You said airline management. Oh, yes, I did. Okay. You're a short flight away, but that's not what you meant. <laughs> he wrote airline. That's why in the chat. Uh, so let me say that again. The online airway management course is available at spondylitis.org, and we will post the links in the podcast description. Uh, but in the meantime, can you tell us a little bit about the course and some of the challenges? Yeah, the uh, anesthesiologist course I'll talk about first, and that's very much written for anesthesiologists, and it might as well be Greek. It's, you know, very technical, uh, but some layman's uh, words from that. Uh, first, you know, the overarching disease family is called spondyloarthritis. A subset of that, and, and spondyloarthritis affects somewhere more than 1.7% of Americans. So it's not rare. Ankylosing spondylitis is a subset of that. And ankylosing means fusing, fusing of the spine. And that's somewhere north of 0.6%. So still more than one in 200 people. Um, so ankylosing spondylitis patients are very difficult to intubate, to, to open their airway and, and put in a breathing tube. The fact that their spine is fused limits the motions. Uh, AS patients can't tip their heads. They can't nod their heads up and down like you and I can. Right. Uh, 
they they're they may not be able to open their mouth as widely. Uh, and their neck is often curved forward with their chin down, leaning forward. It's called kyphosis. And they lay, they can't lay flat on their backs. When you think about, uh, say, CPR, one of the first things they have you do is tip the patient's head back so that their airway is more straight. You can't do that with an AS patient or you'll fracture their spine. To add to the challenge, ankylosing spondylitis patients also may have their fuse or their ribs fused to their backbone. So their rib cage is not as flexible. They can't breathe as well. And AS can affect the function of the heart where it's not as efficient at pumping blood. So all of these make it extremely difficult to intubate an AS patient successfully. So the anesthesiology team needs to really carefully consider each patient, their specific anatomy, and the specialized equipment available, and whether they have the skills that it takes to accomplish this. It's, it's daunting. So that's not as useful for us laymen. It does highlight some of the dangers, you know, in terms of moving people's necks around. Uh, it's, it's very dangerous. The EMS pitfalls class now has some great info for the listeners too. A few highlights there. As the emergency service team is approaching, it's important to communicate with them. Different ways to do that might be medical alert bracelets, uh, smartphone emergency information that the patient has in case there's nobody with them, um, teaching your friends and family about the condition so they can speak for you if they're there and you can't speak, they can speak for you and alert the team to the condition so that they are better informed. Second category is accidents that might seem really minor for non-AS patients uh, might be severe for them. Uh, if there's a minor fall or trauma with an AS patient, should assume it's serious. And if they have any kind of back or neck pain, assume that their spine's fractured. Yeah. So when people come to care for them, don't do the normal things. Uh, and those normal things, standard EMS actions can cause injury, disability, or death. You've probably seen cervical collars in use. Yep. An AS patient might have their spine fractured by applying one. Uh, rigid backboards you see at the local swimming pool. If you use one of those on an AS patient, you may well fracture their, their spine. Um, other typical things that you might find in a hospital setting, like manipulating a patient for bed sores, you know, rolling them over, uh, or putting a patient face down to help with breathing, you know, in a prone position. That was used in COVID treatment. That too can cause severe damage. So the spondylitis website has some materials to help people get ready for the emergency preparedness information. Uh, you can order a first responder information card to carry with you, uh, a flyer to take to the emergency room with you, uh, medical history form, uh, just things to help people advocate for themselves and help educate those that are gonna care for them. Uh, so, 
Uh, since we've been talking, I actually have sent an email to the EMS chief for my local fire department uh, with the information on the course. But if listeners are interested in getting involved, uh, how can they spread the information uh, or put it out in the general public? Uh, and do you have any advice for getting having getting traction on interest in people adopting this as a continuing education credit? I certainly think this podcast will help you <laughs> and yeah. us. Uh, yeah, this is a great opportunity. This is this is a perfect way to get the word out. Um, so first, I'd encourage listeners to promote the course, as you've just done, through your local fire department, paramedics, through your primary care physician, uh, especially if you're an AS patient, they, they're an advocate for you. Uh, your rheumatologist, uh, hospital administrators, uh, and consider your network. Do you know anybody in these fields? Do you know somebody that knows somebody? Uh, and go and visit them in person if you can. Your local fire department, they're happy to have visitors. Uh, they're not working all day. You know, they're, they're happy to, to speak to their, uh, you know, their customers. Uh, and to help with this, I've suggested the SAA create an advocate letter template that right. patients and families can use to give them the basic stats and then and links to the courses and they can add their personal information and, and uh, send them along. And I'd encourage people to not hesitate. The caregivers out there that don't know of this, the last thing they want to do is cause harm to somebody and they're going right. to appreciate your efforts. Right. Uh, and the disease isn't rare. I mentioned the stats before up to over 0.6% of Americans have ankylosing spondylitis, the, da the more dangerous kind. Uh, and the risk of spinal fracture is 11 times higher with those people. Wow. And giving a personal message is powerful, putting your own stamp on it. Um, our family's story helped make the CME course and this podcast happen. Yeah. Uh, my sister-in-law, uh, as a point of interest, her birthday was just a, a few weeks ago, and she listed Spondylitis Association as her birthday fundraiser. And it not only helps raise funds for Spondylitis Association that they can use to spread the word, to extend the life of the CME course, uh, to increase awareness, um, but also it increases awareness amongst her network. Yeah. So, yeah, th those are just some things I'd offer to to help propagate, to help get the word out. And that's an easy one. And our amazing staff has already texted me to say the introductory letter is underway and it will be available on the website before the podcast airs. Um, I should have asked for more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, OK, so what do you think Frank and Barbara would say to you? if they were here today? I, I know that they're extremely thankful and, and very proud of what our extended team has accomplished so far. And they'd encourage the team to keep pushing because we know there's more to do yeah. and we can make more progress. Do you and your family feel a sense of peace around what has been accomplished in the wake of such a tragedy? I certainly do. Uh, 
I'm confident that we've saved lives from this project. Don't know how many, and maybe it's just quality of life. I don't know, but it's not often in life that we're given a chance to have a significant impact on the lives of others. And I'm just so satisfied with that. Uh, that said, I think there's still plenty more to do. And I wish to stay involved as long as I can contribute. Uh, I still think there's a gross lack of awareness of both spondylitis itself and ankylosing spondylitis, how many suffer the condition, the risks of injury and special care they need. Uh, some more things I'm hopeful the team can accomplish is, you know, continuing to promote the courses to get more atten attendees. And this course, or this podcast, I'm, I'm sure we'll do that. Encouraging donations. We've done that and we'll continue to. Uh, seeking more publications and forums by which to spread the word. Uh, the medical team involved is still motivated to, to help get into some larger publications and to get to some, some uh, forums. Uh, Spondylitis Association has forums throughout the year that hopefully we can get to. And uh, through Spondylitis Association members, elevating the attention to injury as a topic and helping them to better self-advocate for themselves, which again, we've done through the podcast, but not everybody's going to listen to the podcast though. You know, we can continue, continue to, to promote the information through the, the website, through advertising, you know, wherever spondylitis associations involved. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so humbled by the support that, from the Henry Ford Hospital doctors, Dr. Peruzzi, Dr. China, Dr. Ravel of the Medical Advisory Board and the Spondylitis Association team. Uh, it's more than I could have hoped for at the beginning of the project. And I, I truly appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm so glad to have gotten to spend this time with you. I've, I've been hearing as we have board meetings, it is always a topic, every board meeting that we get an update and I, I honestly, before I started hearing about it, I hadn't connected the risk and it's such amazing work. And like, I'm so glad that SAA and all of us get to be a part of it. So um, thank you so much for this um, and the gift that you're giving back to, to people who have spondylitis. Uh, I'm not often speechless. So <laughs> I, I am, I'm, my gratitude is like over, over the top. So thank you, Bruce. I really appreciate you. And I know all our, our listeners do too. And I'll give a special, special shout out to Dr. Ravel too, because I am grateful for the work he's done on the board and with this in particular. Yeah, no, I, I've said it. I, I'm humbled and proud of the team. Another note of interest, Dr. Ravel and Dr. Peruzzi had crossed paths historically and knew a lot of the same people through their, through their work over time. Uh, very, it was a very fun group to work with. I bet. I, well, I think it is only the beginning. So yeah. we can land on that and hopefully we can get an update uh, maybe next year from you and in the meantime, I hope people really, uh, that this has given them the impetus to 
go ahead and get their local communities involved and the people in their in their own circles and spread the word. So thank you. Thank you. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.